Good morning. God is good. And all the time. Let's try it again. God is good. And all the time. It's because of that good God we are here this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Andrew Dexter. I uh, planted this church. I'm just kidding. My name is Bryce. Uh, I am friends with Andrew and Dan. I planted from uh, Dan's Church Pine Ridge three years ago, uh, up in Calgary, up in Beddington, little house church, as you guys started. Um, yeah, we're, it's nice that we can all kind of, the three of us churches can kind of share the load and kind of swap, um, swap preaching for a week, gives us a break and, and whatnot, and it's fun to see uh, the rest of the family. So it's good to see you guys. So, for since most of you probably don't know me, one of my favorite things, um, if not the favorite thing about the grand mystery of salvation that I love, is um, is prayer. That's it's the one thing that I I just love to get lost in is prayer. I love talking about it, studying it, talking with people, doing it, reading about it, everything about prayer. It's just such a mystery to me. It's a mystery because you know how. Does it work? What is it? Why does it work? Probably a better question, why should it work? Why should prayer work? We're talking about this morning, obviously we're talking about prayer. Um, This whole fascination with prayer really started because I had a teacher describe prayer from Revelation 4 and 5. He said, if you want to start with prayer, understand Revelation 4 and 5. Understand the throne room. Understand the glory of God. You just start there. And I know Revelation 4 and 5 isn't a literal picture of what's going on in heaven, but let's just think about that for a second. Revelation 4 and 5, specifically chapter 4. John gets, he's in the spirit, and he sees a vision of the throne room. And what does he see? He sees the throne But he sees these four living creatures flying around the throne, and he who is seated on the throne. And these four living creatures are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're constantly crying this out night and day. And then around those living creatures are these 24 thrones with 24 elders seated on those thrones. And those guys are saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. And as John narrows into the throne itself, it says, From the throne is coming peals of lightning and rumblings of thunder. John's describing this beautiful, um, beautiful symphony of worship that is constantly surrounding our God and Father. To us, it may seem like um, a beautiful, chaotic worship service. Our Lord loves it. He's sitting in it. That is what he is constantly in 24-7, just this worship, and, and just everything around him is in awe and wonder of him. And a teacher I had once said, as you picture that, now picture prayer. It's when you and I, as sons and daughters of the king, we enter into that throne room. As we enter into that throne room, and, and God sitting on his throne, all of his glory, all of his might, the lightning, the thunder, the worship, the flying around, everything's going on around him. He said, the value that you have of prayer, he said, when you get to that throne and when you're going to God in prayer, the king of kings, he sits on the edge of his throne and he sees you coming. 
raises his hands and gives a hush to the throne room. As he leans forward, he goes, I just want to hear everything my son or daughter wants to say to me right now. They have my undivided attention. I may be steeped in worship all the time, but what does my daughter want to say to me right now? What does my son want to say to me? He doesn't want to miss a thing that we have to say to him in prayer. Why should the King of Kings hush all of heaven to hear me pray? And it's simply because of the love that comes from the throne room to us is something that we won't fully understand this side of heaven. We just won't get it. Those prayers that we bring before God, we come before him in the throne room, we say, God, and we just kind of unload in our prayers, whether it's adoration, whether it's petition, whether it's confession, whatever it is, when we bring it to God, God says, yeah, I'm here, I'm listening. As you keep reading Revelation, you see at multiple times, John says, and our prayers are in golden bowls like incense before him, kept before the throne room. In some cases, God values our prayers more than we do when we go to pray to him. He's not missing a word we say. He's hanging off of every word we say because the love that he has for us is unmatched. Now, as much as I love prayer, I'm no expert in it. And there are times for me, as I'm sure for you guys, where prayer just seems routine. I get stuck. I don't know what to pray for, sometimes how to pray. And so my hope for this morning, this sermon, helps us. As a pastor, it's my job, Revelation 4.20, is to equip the saints for ministry to equip you guys for ministry. So as, as I was preparing this for my own church last week, and I was preparing about this for a couple of weeks, it's my prayer that I can equip you guys, as I equipped my church, for ministry. And prayer helps fuel ministry. I hope and pray that this sermon will inspire us and our prayer lives specifically, and that it can be just more tools that we add to our spiritual tool belt as we do ministry through the rest of the week. This sermon was really sparked, um, it was, I forgot to bring it up, but um, was sparked by a book my dad gave me. It's Timothy Keller's book on prayer, um, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. And in that book, at the very beginning, he kind of defines what prayer is as Christians, he, or just in general, what is prayer in general? <clears throat> and he, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the book with me, but he says, Prayer is one's response to our knowledge of God. That's all prayer is. So backing that up a bit, actually it's true. We pray to, as some people say, we pray to the God that we know. As much as we know God, that really does affect our prayer lives. Anyone can pray to God. Romans 2.20 talks about um, all of creation cries that there's a creator. So whether someone believes in God or not, everybody has experienced the bare minimum that there's a creator out there. Therefore, anybody can pray. It's why there's that saying, there's no atheist in foxholes. Everybody knows that there's something out there. But it's the how and who we pray to that really defines us as Christians to other people who pray or other religions that pray. But Keller says something shortly after his definition. He says, 
if prayer is one's response to the knowledge of God, then prayer is profoundly altered by our understanding of God. And it's so true. How we pray definitely changes on how much we know God, how much we know Jesus and our knowledge of him and our knowledge of the word. For me and my wife, Kate, uh, we're celebrating five years uh, married in a couple weeks. And the way that her and I talked when we were first dating is completely different than how we talk now. I pretended to care about how much she loved Star Wars at the beginning, and now I just, we're married, I don't really care that much how much she loves Star Wars. She's not going to hear this, it's, well, you guys are probably recording it, so she might. <laughs> but after being married for five years, and for those of us in the room who have been married for, for more than that, hopefully our conversations with our spouses have drastically improved from years ago to now. The frequency, the tone, the topics, vastly changed because we've gotten to know our spouse that much more. Same with our kids. I have a seven-week-old daughter and I have an th almost three-year-old daughter. The way I talk to my three-year-old is different than the seven-week-old because I don't really know the seven-week-old yet. It's the, same with our, it's the same with our relationship with God. The more time I spend with the Father, the more I pray and it changes how I pray, it changes how I talk, and it changes the frequency that I want to go talk to him, because I know him. This sermon this morning, <clears throat> uh, this sermon this morning really comes because uh, we were finishing up First Thessalonians. You guys finished it a couple weeks ago, I, I think. Um, but as me and my church, we were finishing up First Thessalonians, I came across one verse, and uh, we're going to stand and read this one verse. Uh, Thessalonians... 1 Thessalonians 5.25. You'll stand with me. Be a short stand. First Thessalonians 5.25. Brothers, pray for us. In church, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Short and sweet. <clears throat> As Paul comes to the end of his letter in First Thessalonians, um, I was tempted to just kind of lump all of basically verses 12 to 28 all together. It's just kind of one-ended sermon. Let's kind of finish it up. Uh, that turned into about five, six weeks of sermons. And this being one of them. Four letters. Brothers, pray for us. It's a pretty standard close that we have from Paul in, one of, in any of his letters. It's a prayer request. And as his little church hears Paul saying, brothers, pray for us, got me thinking, how would this early church pray? Because you've got to remember, this early church is probably less than a year old. They had Paul for anywhere from three weeks to maybe three months with him, maybe longer. And they had Timothy pop by for a little bit to check in on them. But apart from that, this young church was really on their own. But yet they were on fire for God. We've got to remember their background. This church is a mix of Jewish Christians and pagan Christians from different backgrounds. Some came from Judaism, some came from worshiping in the temple. 
But yeah, they all came to worship Jesus now. And the way a Jew would have prayed would have been completely different in tone, frequency, and just, and just um, like, uh, just the topic of the conversation would have been completely different than how someone who used to worship in the temple would have prayed. Would have been completely different. So when Paul says, brothers, pray for us, how would they have prayed? And I'm convinced that part of how they learned to pray would have been from just watching Paul, Timothy, and Silas pray for those few weeks that they were with them. Watching the older ones pray. This new little church was picking up on that. With my daughters, my two oldest daughters, Sawyer and Eddie, <clears throat> when it comes to mealtime, we pray before we eat, and we either pray-pray, which is just a normal prayer, or we sing-pray, which is usually like Johnny Appleseed or something like that. And we always sing-pray, because that's what they want to do. But Sawyer and Eddie, we didn't sit them down and teach them, this is how we sing pray. They learn from watching her friends sing pray. They learn from watching mom and pop, me, sing pray. Before long, without us having to teach them prayer, it's just in them, well, when it comes time to pray before we eat, we sing pray. Whether we're at home or whether we're out at a park for a picnic or whether we're at someone else's house, the girls don't care who they're around. It's just time to pray and we sing pray. Almost all of what they learned of prayer comes from watching someone else pray. And again, I'm fairly convinced that's a large part of how this early church would have learned how to pray. And that brings me to my question. How did, how did Paul pray? If this early church was watching Paul pray, how did Paul pray? Slash, how did Paul ask people to pray for him? And what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to go through um, almost all of Paul's prayers in his letters and put them up behind us to see how Paul prays. Because Paul almost, almost never actually teaches prayer in his letters. But what he does do, he does pray in every letter. What I found fascinating was seeing how Paul prays and comparing it to how I pray and how my church prays. Man, I think there's some places we can improve on. Not that we pray wrong, but I think if we watch like the early church, if we watch Paul pray, I wonder if that will affect how we pray, how we talk to our Father. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to go through basically three ways that we probably pray in our Western comfy churches. Now, this may not be specific. All of these might not be specific to Genesis House. Um, but we've probably all prayed like this at least once in our life. So I'm not saying these are wrong prayers or bad prayers. But I want to see how Paul would probably pray these typical prayers that we have a little differently. At, uh, at Chapel House, at my church, uh, we start very similar to you guys. Before we do announcements, before we do worship, we start with corporate prayer. We'll put a little verse up on screen. We'll um, give a little exhortation on that prayer. Uh, and then we'll open up to prayer requests. And then we break up into groups to pray. And we pray until we're done. And then we get into worship. And I asked this to my church. And if I were to ask it here before you guys pray, if I said, you know, we're going to pray this morning. But we can't pray for anything. We can't pray for any physical circumstantial changes. That means in the area of health, work, homes, or just general energy. How would we pray? Could we pray? Does how we pray now 
is how we pray now solely focused on circumstantial changes? It's interesting to think about. And that may not be all, that might not be completely how we pray, but that's probably a lot of how we pray. I call these the help me prayers. It's the God help me feel better. Help me with work this week as I have this big assignment or my boss is breathing down my neck. Or God, would you just help me to have a little more energy with the kids this week? I'm going to say this a lot. That's not a bad prayer to pray. Those aren't wrong prayers. But they're very much a God, God fix or God improve my situation. And when we look at Paul's life in the Bible, circumstantial changes are almost, keyword almost, never on the menu. I'm sure Paul did pray the help me prayers, and we actually do see him pray it at least once in 2 Corinthians 12 when he prays, God, would you remove the thorn from my flesh? God, help me, remove this. We see Jesus also pray this way in the garden. Father, if you could, if you could can you remove this cup of suffering from me? Again, the help me prayers aren't wrong. But I want to look at Paul, kind of see how might we change our prayers. If we're to look at Paul's prayer life, the help me prayers, he still prays, but he kind of prays it a little differently. For Paul, instead of praying for, instead of praying the help me prayers, Paul prays for his friends that they would live in light of eternity and they would live with spiritual endurance. That's what Paul prays for. Whether he is praying about living in the day of Christ in Philippians, or he's talking about the hope laid out for them in heaven in Colossians, Paul prays for his friends that have spiritual endurance to reach eternity. Paul understands there are many things that can weigh us down in this life. There are many circumstances that can rock our world. Many coincidences that may spiral us into stress and anxiety, and when those things happen, it is easy for us to put our spirituality on the back burner. It's easy for us to, as our spirituality is on the back burner, for it to just kind of fade and, if left long enough, even be neglected. And as Paul was overseeing many New Testament churches, I'm sure he was flooded with reports and requests for these help me prayers. True, genuine, needed, help me prayers. We know that the early church was plagued with um, being ostracized, being put in prison, being beaten, in some cases even death. The help me prayers are legitimate. I'm not downplaying their help me prayers, and we're not downplaying our help me prayers. Yet when Paul thinks of his friends and all of their situations that they're going through, he goes to the throne room, and he gets on his knees before the Father, and he intercedes for his friends, and he prays, God, would they have spiritual endurance that these earthly circumstances would not rock their spiritual standing before you, and would they look beyond this life into eternity? Is that what, I want them to hold on to that. Paul wants the day of the Lord and their hope light up in heaven, and their salvation in Christ, Paul wants that to be in the front of their mind, regardless whether they're facing lions, or whether they're facing beatings, or whether they're facing being left out of family events because now they follow Jesus. Paul says, God, I just want you to remain in the front of their mind that you are worth it. Yes, this life is important, and God does care about the small things. But God, please let them not lose sight of the finish line. Let them run the good race. Let them fight the good fight all the way to the end. Don't let this, this earthly situation change 
their trajectory. And apart, and for me personally, apart from recently and studying this, never really prayed that way. Never really prayed that my friends would have their eyes fixed on Jesus or the coming of Jesus. But as I look at how Paul prays and I think through my life, the life of my friends, what a sweet way to pray. I think it would take time for us to learn to pray this way. Again, pray the help me prayers. But all I'm saying is add this to your spiritual tool belt. That God, I know so-and-so just lost a spouse, but I pray that they would not lose sight of heaven. God, I know so-and-so just lost their job, but let them stay on the straight and narrow. That's all we're adding. That's, all I'm, that's my pastoral push to you guys is add that to your, add that to your help me prayers. Um, if we are praying to the God of power, the God Almighty, if we're praying for spiritual endurances for one another, then all of our earthly circumstances become secondary because we're praying for the finish line, not in the middle. If by default we prayed this way for spiritual endurance, then we could endure through this life because our eyes have been fixed on the immovable Jesus and our hope that is laid up in heaven. If we prayed this way, we could face dire, or sorry, we could face loneliness like Elijah faces. We could face dire health complications like Epaphroditus, who almost died. If we prayed like this, we could face uncomfortable, awkward, or even downright evil work situations like Philemon and Daniel. We could even face the situations of moving to a new country or moving to a new place or finding a new place for a new growing family like, like um, Joseph and Mary did. We see Paul pray for spiritual endurance rather than circumstantial changes. Don't drop the help me prayers, but add this, as we see Paul pray for his friends, add this to our prayer, to our prayer lives. Another common way that we pray, <clears throat> again, painting with broad strokes here, another common way that we pray is, God, would you grow our church? Grow our church. Amen. I've prayed that prayer. Dan, Andrew have prayed those prayers. We have prayed those prayers. Again, they're good prayers to pray. But how might Paul pray that a little differently? For us at Chapel House, um, the way we do membership is on a yearly basis. Every January, if you want to be a member for the next coming year, regardless of if you remember last year, if you want to be a member, you got to sit down with me and an elder, and, uh, and we just talk. What were some spiritual highs and lows of last year? Let's be real in this meeting. Were there anything that I said as a pastor that may have wronged you or rubbed you the wrong way this last year? What are your prayers for this year that I can join in praying with you? And one of the last questions I ask is, when you dream of the future of Chapel House, three, five, 15 years down the road, what do you hope this little church plant becomes? As I just finished all these meetings in January, I get to that last question. Basically, everybody said the same thing. I hope Chapel House gets bigger. I hope that we grow into a real established church. I hope we outgrow the basement. And I'm going, yeah, me too. <laughs> but as we look at what we want church to be, 
I also hope it grows in every single way. Numbers, building, programming. But how do we get there? That's what nobody was asking. Nobody was asking, how do we go from the current few to the future many? And it's through the ministry of the saints. It's not through the ministry of the singular saint, me or Dan or Andrew of our churches. It's the ministry of the saints that'll get us there. It's a group effort. It's being the body of Christ that'll get us there. It's good to pray for growth. But as we look at how Paul prayed, he doesn't just pray, God, grow the church of Thessalonica, grow the church of Colossae, grow the church of Philippi. He doesn't just pray those prayers. When we look at how Paul prays, Paul understands that he and the saints play a major role in growing the church. Well, that's for the next point. But when we look at how Paul asks his friends to pray for him, thank you. Paul prays for opportunities for growth, not just blanket growth. God is at work in everybody's life, not just in the church, but outside. Outside of these four walls, God is at work in different stages and different places. God loves to work with people to save people. God could do it all on his own. He doesn't need us to go and be his hands and feet, but he asks us to go and be his hands and feet in this world. One of the themes of the Bible, cover to cover, <clears throat> is God working with man to save men. That's what God is up to. For Paul, in these four places here, Paul's saying, hey, friends, pray for me. Paul's saying, Give me open doors. Let there be many more people coming to give thanks. And Paul's not afraid to put in the work. He's not afraid to put in the time of the potentially awkward situations of standing in line, having a conversation about Jesus in public. He's not worried about staying late at his work to have a conversation with someone. Paul's ready and willing to put in the work whenever opportunities arose. But it's a question that I want us to ask ourselves before we pray this prayer. If we're to pray the prayer of God, give us opportunities, we need to ask the real question, am I willing to take those opportunities? Because all of us, 100% of us in this room, the spirit inside of us is going, yeah, totally, I'm taking those opportunities. But the flesh on the outside of us is going, yeah, but I'll find any excuse to tell myself why right now is a bad time to take an opportunity. When we look at Paul's life in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, we know that Paul was a busy man from chapter 2. He had his own business. He's working. He's working night and day at his business. He's also taking care of the church, but yet he is still praying this prayer of, God, give me opportunities. As busy as he is, he's saying, give me opportunities to share the goodness of God. And church, I want us to pray this way. I want us to pray that the word of God would go ahead of us, that open doors would be given to us so that many more would be able to fill this, specifically these front two rows, uh, with more people. <laughs> but church, 
We need to be honest with ourselves and count the cost. Would we be willing to take those opportunities if those opportunities arose? Because they're never on our time schedule. Are you willing, and if you're honest, are you willing to give up time with your spouse if an opportunity arises to go meet with someone to have a spiritual conversation? Now, if you're quick to say, oh yeah, definitely I give up time with my spouse, then that's a different issue. <laughs> or are you willing to stay late after work because one of your coworkers the day before on a whim asked something about church? Are you willing to stay late and engage in that conversation again even though you've had a long work week already? I recently was meeting with a guy in uh, our neighborhood who we've been connecting with, and he's, he's a long, long-distance runner, um, and I am not. I love running, but I'm not a long-distance runner. And his, his thought of like a casual run is like a 12, 13-kilometer run. And as we were leaving our first run, which was short, just six kilometers, and I was puffed by the end. In my head, I'm going, oh, God, I really hope this guy converts quick because I can't keep doing this. <laughs> But as I, although that's lighthearted, it is the, the question I'm, I'm willing to ask myself. Am I willing to keep running and, and trying to engage with this guy because he's interested in having some even minor spiritual conversations? It's not just the run. Is it time, that's time away from my wife, from my kids, from the rest of my church, from things that I'd rather be doing. It's like, is it worth it? It's, yeah, it's worth it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. With our denomination, the Free Methodist Church, they have uh, a prayer meeting uh, Monday through Monday through Saturday, just for a half hour, and they pray for revival. And it's across Canada, so people come and go whenever they can. I try and join in on these uh, prayer meetings on Zoom once a week, whenever I can. <clears throat> it's usually uh, me uh, and about 15 other people across Canada, and usually I'm the youngest by by a couple presidents, if you know what I mean. And one of the things that we pray in that meeting and that you guys, I'm sure, have prayed here and at Pine Ridge and at Chapel House, we pray Matthew 9, 37, 38. God, would you send laborers into the field? Keep praying that prayer. We will keep praying that prayer. But a question that I want us to ask is, how do we pray that prayer? If we were to pray that prayer right now in our pews, would we pray, God, would you send laborers into the field? <laughs> would you send them into the field? <laughs> I'll be the prayer warrior in the back, but send, you know, send that person into the church. Are we willing to be the answer to our own prayer requests? Are we willing to pray God send me as a laborer into that field? Again, we've got to count the cost. I told my church, whenever I have prayed this prayer of God give me opportunities to have spiritual conversations, there's been twice that I've genuinely prayed this prayer and I haven't gotten a spiritual conversation that week out of it. God will answer those prayers. So we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to take them? As we pray for our friends and we pray for our churches, let us also pray for growth through the opportunities that God will give us. As we see Paul asking his friends to pray for him for opportunities. And finally, the last common way that we pray it's usually something along the lines of, um, God, reveal yourself to me. God, show up. Do something. Again, not wrong. It's not bad. I've prayed those prayers. But when I see Paul pray for his friends, 
he prays those prayers a little differently. Specifically, when we see um, Thessalonians, oh sorry, uh, Ephesians. As Paul prays for his friends, in this case, Ephesus, it's that they would know Jesus and the love that he has for them. You can take my word for it. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 17 and Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. As Paul prays for his friends in the case of Ephesus, he prays for them that they would know Jesus and they would know the love that he has for them all. Thank you. Now, out of all the churches in the New Testament, Ephesus is the one we know the most about, hands down. You know, it was founded in Acts 18. We know that Paul himself wrote a letter, the letter to the Ephesians. And sometime after he wrote this letter, he sent Timothy there, and we get the letter of 1 Timothy. And sometime after Timothy, we get the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, and that's where one of the seven churches is Ephesus, and another letter gets written to them. We know the most about this church, the spiritual highs, the spiritual lows of this church, all that was going on, and there's a lot to pray for in that messy church. Yet, when Paul prays for his friends in Ephesus, we see him pray two things. God, would they have a fuller understanding of the love that is coming from the throne room to them? Pray they would understand that. Now, this is a prayer that I have been praying for my church, especially since our membership meetings in January. I want us to be a church, and I want Genesis House, and, and Andrew would agree to I want us to be churches that are completely swept away by the love of Jesus, that we would understand that. I want us to fall in love more with the person of Jesus, fall in love more with the scriptures, and I want us to know the love that is coming from the throne room to us. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. <clears throat> and the best way that I could describe it is kind of like doing math. I'm not good at math. As you'll see when it comes to lessons, I might not be good at spelling either. When it comes to math, my teacher said, uh, she goes, I love teaching math because it's the only subject where there's an aha moment. So in math, you can, take, you can be told, take this equation, punch it exactly into your calculator, and it's going to spit out the answer. And you go, okay, I get it. I get it. But as you keep studying math, you'll understand how this equation works. Okay, I do the brackets first, and once I get that answer, then I have to divide by 6, and then that'll give me x. Oh, I get it. It's the aha moment. It's going from, I get it with the calculator, I know how it works, to, oh, I get it. It's the heart knowledge of, like, I know how it works. I know how that happens. And I believe it's the same with the love of Jesus. Because many of us in this room have been told since we were kids in Sunday school that Jesus loves us, which is true. It's the head knowledge. Yeah, Jesus loves me. I get it. We see it on street corners. We see it on coffee cups. We see it all the time. Jesus loves me. And it's true, and he does. But it's my prayer for my church, and be the same for Andrew, for you guys, is that we would have a true revelation, a true heart knowledge of the love of Jesus. We would have our own spiritual, ah, I get it moment of the amount of love that is coming from the throne to us. Now that comes in waves. There's, there's waves through spirituality of the, the highs and the lows. And I was, I was telling my church, out of everything I want from my church, everything that I could pray for, 
is I want them to know the love of God. I want them to know, like Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that they'd be able to have the strength to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ. I want the Spirit to give them wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what I pray for my church. That's what I know Dan and Andrew are praying for you guys in Pine Ridge. Going back to our definition of prayer from, from Keller's book about um, prayer it changes based on our understanding of God. We need to know God. We need to be in his word. There's a difference between reading the Bible and studying it. It's cool to see that you guys have your men's and women's studies. Make that a priority. I assume those aren't on the same nights of the week because you have kids. There's no reason why you can't make it. Highly encourage you, as I do to my church, be there. Study the word of God. Know your father more. If you want to change your prayer life, understand Jesus. It's a reason why at our churches, we walk through the Bible painstakingly. When I first planted Chapel House, we were right at the beginning of Revelation, and that was fun for me. <laughs> we went through Revelation, and then we went through the narrative stories of Genesis, and then we went through First Thessalonians here. Church, there are people and Christians who say we don't need the Old Testament, or we don't need Revelation, or we don't need the book of James. Church, we need the whole narrative of Scripture, the whole canon of Scripture, to show us the image of God. We need the Old Testament, because every single page of the Old Testament shows us the character of God in one way or another. Every single page. We need the Gospels, because it's going to show us the person of Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And we need the letters and the epistles at the end to show us how to live a spirit-filled life this side of heaven. The whole canon of scripture paints a picture of the Trinity at work in human history, and we need to study it all to understand how God is at work. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I pray that we would be a church that prays for each other well that we would bear one another's burdens, we would laugh with those who laugh, we would weep with those who weep, and we would do that well. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, I don't know what everyone is going through in this room, but I pray that my friends in this room would make it to the end, that we would run the good race, we would fight the good fight, we would stay in the straight and narrow, and that our circumstances would not dictate our path or our choices in life. God, I pray that all of us in this room, every single one of us, Lord, would make it to the end and we'd be in glory rejoicing together. And many more, that many more people would come to give thanks to you. God, I pray that we would count the cost and that we would be a church that prays for the opportunities in front of us. And God, I pray that we'd be a church that understands the love that you have for us. How would you bless our, our short time in dialogue and, and after? In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> i got a couple lessons here for us. 
praying the help me prayers, the God reveal yourself or God grow your church, those prayers aren't wrong. Those aren't bad, those aren't wrong. I just want to say that off the top. Number two. We see Paul pray for the spiritual endurance rather than circumstantial changes, which is interesting. Pray for the finish line, not just the in-between. That we'd make it all the way to the end. We see him pray for that for his friends in Philippi and Colossae. Number three, pray for growth through opportunities and be willing to be the answer to your own prayer requests. And that's a tough one because it's easy to pray and it's hard to do sometimes. And finally, number four, Paul's prayer is that his friends would have true heart knowledge of Jesus and the love he has for us. So Paul prays for his friends. For a man who doesn't really teach prayer in his letters, he does a lot of it. And all of his letters are super short, but it's cool to see how this man prays. And now in most of his letters, he does say, I I always remember you in my prayers, or I never cease to give thanks for you guys, or I constantly mention you in my prayers. We know in those times where Paul's talking about that, that he's also praying the help me prayers, the growth, the reveal yourself prayers. We know he's praying those prayers too. But when he says, I'm going to actually take time to write out my prayers, this is what he wants the churches to remember which I find super cool.